This is Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Primal Screen is about movies, from the ones on the big screen to the ones you stream. Hope you enjoy the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. to Primal Screen, a show all about screen culture from movies on the big screen to whatever you're streaming. My name is Flick Ford and I'm your host for tonight. And joining me in the studio is Lisa Kovacevic. Hey, Lisa. Hey, thanks for having me back. <laughs> it's our pleasure. It's, this is your first first show for, for 2022. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is actually. Yeah, it's, um, it's nice to be in studio IRL. Yeah. Good. <laughs> <laughs> and unfortunately not in IRL, but um, joining us virtually uh, is the wonderful Emma Westwood. Hey, Emma. Hi, I'm jealous, I'm jealous. I will get into the studio soon. Lovely to see your smiling faces and hear your bright, sparkly voices. Oh, right back at you. As many of you know, uh, this Thursday is International Women's Day and it's a day that is um, designed to celebrate the achievements of women, to bring awareness to some of the challenges we face and to call upon us to fight for a more equitable world. And, you know, representation both on screen and behind the camera is one of the key ways in which women can influence the stories and characters that girls and women see on screen. So for tonight, um, we're doing a Stream Queens special in which we're going to spotlight female-focused television dramas that are currently available to stream. We will learn how to expertly skin and gut a rabbit with Melanie Linsky, Julia Lewis and Christina Ritchie in the HBO teen survival series Yellow Jackets. Um, Then we stumble out – actually, it wasn't HBO, is it? It's Paramount Plus. Sorry, my bad. Um, Paramount Plus for the Showtime. Yes, Showtime Presents, of course. Sorry. Uh, Then we're going to stumble our way, much like I'm stumbling through this intro, um, into underage house parties with the – with beautifully elaborate eyeliner and a bump of coke in the drug-fueled teen drama Euphoria. And finally, we're going to have some brunch mimosas with Carrie, Miranda and Charlotte, and notably not Samantha in the Sex and the City reboot and just like that. Um, But before we tuck into those reviews, um, I want to know what you guys have been streaming. Um, Emma, let's start with you. What have I been streaming? I've been streaming a lot. I have to say I've probably been streaming more series than um, uh, than watching movies, which is a strange thing for me. And I think maybe it's a little bit of the zeitgeist, if you know what I mean. It seems to work. I don't know what it is about streaming 
hours and hours and hours of one storyline that seems easier than watching and less of a commitment than I know watching what you mean. for some reason. Isn't yes. it strange? Yeah, it is it's odd. Really I watched I watched about eight hours, maybe nine hours of Yellow Jackets and yet was like, oh, I don't feel like watching a movie today. No, it's, it's because <laughs> you want to much. escape into a world, I reckon. Mm. Like we're, we're sort of stuck. We've been, you know, trapped in homes for so long. You can kind of escape into these worlds now for extended periods and that's probably part of the appeal, I'd say. Yeah, and yeah. it does feel more digestible somehow in little episodes. You know, you've got – you can get up. It's got a very – Easily designated tea break. Well, they become like family, you know, after <laughs> yeah, a while, don't they? You know, you know all true. the characters, and it's like, I oh, am, yeah, I'll check in with what the cannibals are up to. <laughs> <laughs> Very strange family. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Very true. Have you got something well, you've been watching, Lisa? I've been watching a bunch of crap, actually. Like, I watched, um, <laughs> I watched oh, – I don't know if it's crap. I watched the um, ridiculously titled The Woman in the House Across the Street from the Girl in the Window, uh, which stars Kristen Bell, who people might yep. remember from – is it Veronica Mars? Yeah. And it has a similar sort of tone yep. to that. Um, and as my friends – I said, but they just don't pull it off. So it's, you know, it's kind of a um, – a murder mystery, like a, a broken woman thinks she's witnessed a murder across the street and sort of has to, uh, or is she just a wino? You don't know. And she <laughs> yeah. has to sort of unravel the, the mystery. Um, but is that yeah. a girl on a train or whatever that was? Oh, that yeah. Book? It that, sounds like a remarkably similar premise. Premise, yeah. yeah. I think it's been done a few times. I think that's a film that you're talking about with Emily Blunt, M. But um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was a book. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, look, it, and it could have been good. It sort of, it, it sort of um, at times, leans into melodrama and the ridiculous but it's just not clever enough to pull it off because half the time the tone is just straight and so you're just left confused and the end is absolutely ridiculous diabolical (laughs) the other thing I've been watching is um inventing Anna I think it's called oh yeah have you seen it look I've seen all I think I want to see I wasn't that into it No. I watched like two eps and then I was like, oh, I think I'm good. Yeah. Um, some people seem to like it. It's number one in Australia on Netflix for a few weeks there. I think the only the only good thing about it is um, the lead actress, is it Julia Garner? Yes, she, who many re- would remember. know from Ozarks. But you won't recognise her. Yeah. You won't recognise it. She's wonderful in the – is it the Ozarks or Ozark? Ozarks? Ozarks. I was actually yeah. thinking though of um, – oh, dear, I've had a mind blank. Kitty Green's film uh, – the assistant, of course, um, we reviewed oh, last yeah. year and also did an interview with Kitty right. Green. She's Julia Fantastic. Garner is just That's exceptional right. in that lead role. Yes, um, you, were, you were the girl for that um, flick. You were doing all the interviews <laughs> and everything, the Q and A. Just obvious, I was Q&A's a big fan. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, oh, what amazing film! No, you're yeah, right. Yeah. There is there is one that I, I should um, mention that um, kind of went. I went in with trepidation, and it's it's flawed, but I still have enjoyed it. Is um, the the um it's called servant not the servant servant mm. it's on apple apple tv and um it's uh tony Bascallops, the guy who's a series creator but it's um uh, m night Shyamalan is the oh. showrunner and it's it does kind of have that i don't know for want of a better word camp edge that his stuff sort of has now but um lauren ambrose who was the youngest daughter in six feet under she's in it um, also Rupert Grint, who oh, yeah. is in the Harry Potter <clears throat> films, yes, of course. is in it. 
And then um, the guy, Toby Cabell, right, he's, so he plays Lauren Ambrose's wife. And those, that three, that triumvirate, have amazing rapport. It's also a, such a gorgeous apartment they live in and it's almost totally centred around this apartment and it has this amazing, creepy, fetishistic thing with food because <laughs> Toby Cabell's character is um, a chef. So, And then it also has some sort of weird supernatural culty thing going on which oh. is very like Night Shyamalan worthwhile having a look at very pretty to look at and okay. um quite interesting but sort of topples over in some areas feels a bit clunky but I think it's still worthwhile having a peek at maybe that's also something about streaming series is we're a bit more forgiving when they when they have dud episodes because you're like oh no it's okay you've got more to, more content to work with so yeah yes. you can always turn around season that's two or that's season right. three <laughs> there's opportunities for redemption galore really yeah, yeah. well yeah. the show the show that I have been absolutely uh, killing over the whole summer break has been uh, Alone which is a survival series it's um very optimistically. Uh, pigeonholed as a documentary on SBS, but we all know it's like reality TV. Uh, <laughs> it is basically people alone in the wilderness, usually the Canadian wilderness, and they um, have to survive and they just have a camera that they're recording themselves with, so little kind of amateur filmmakers. And uh, I actually feel like it ties in really well with the first uh, TV series we're going to be chatting about tonight. Um, so I, um, I I do feel like this is one that was right up my alley. It has been on my radar. Lots of people recommended this to me. Uh, we are, of course, talking about the Paramount Plus TV series. I'll get my, my, <laughs> my mouth around that eventually. Yellow Jackets. I know what you want to hear, but the truth is... The plane crashed, a bunch of my friends died, and the rest of us starved and scavenged and prayed for 19 months till they finally found us. And that's the end of the story. I think we both know there's a bit more to it than that. I can't imagine what you guys went through out there. Nobody can. And that is worth something. It's worth a lot, actually. I can guarantee you a seven-figure book advance right here, right now. We could write it together, but it's your name on the cover. I'm not interested. Sorry. What if I told you the others were? Then I would say that you're lying. So, Emma, this is a recommendation um, from your dear self. I feel yeah. as though a certain host of this show from last year would be a very big fan of this as well, Mr. Paul Anthony Nelson. Um, tell us about Yellow Jackets. I haven't spoken to him about it, but that's a good point. Another host of um, Primal Screen when it was Plato's Cave, Alexandra Helen Nicholas got me onto it. Oh, she of course. Was, it was right into it. So, yeah. So I'll give you a little rundown on what it's about anyway. it's So in 1996, a high school team of champion female soccer players, and they're known as um, Yellow Jackets, flies to Seattle to play in the Nationals, but their plane doesn't make it. Instead, they crash into the Canadian wilderness where the survivors live off the land in the spoils of the wreckage until being rescued 19 months later. Their story becomes the stuff of tabloids and even 25 years into the future, people are clamouring to know what really happened to them because across that fateful time. 
with teen actors playing the girls in the 90s and mainstays of 90s cinema, including Melanie Linsky, Juliette Lewis and Christina Ricci, playing the middle-aged version of these women, grappling with the secrets of a trauma-filled past, Yellow Jackets is kind of part drama, part folk horror, part teen coming-of-age story that cuts between the then and now, so the two story or the two timelines. It's written and created by Ashley Lyle and Bart Nickerson from Narcos and the Originals um, for the Showtime Network. Uh, and it's most notably executive produced by Karen Kasama. Yes. Who, um, yeah, she's so she directed the pilot, so she really sort of set the tone for the show. And, Absolutely. Um, Had we, you we, seen? We have reviewed her film Destroyer with yep. Nicole Kidman, people would know, and also I love The Invitation, which is a great yes. little independent horror actually, that um, yeah. I love I love The Invitation as well. I actually first got into Kasama through Girl Fight, which is her debut feature film, and I remember yes. watching that as a teen and just feeling so um, – motivated by Michelle Rodriguez's <laughs> performance I just thought she was so kick-ass and it was so wonderful seeing a woman boxing on screen and fighting and being like just just all-round awesome um and also mm-hmm. Kusama did Jennifer's Body which Megan with Megan Fox, Fox which has since sort of been almost recast as a feminist film as well yeah I've not watched it but it's I know it was really it's really divided people that yeah. film hasn't it because it I was think... written off originally mm. as just trash wasn't it well yeah kind of similar to another film I think we reviewed last year or we returned to last year which Mean Girls um, where that was kind of presented as a certain way when it came out and misread potentially but then Jennifer's Body I think feels that same sort of um, yeah it was responded to in a similar sort of way but sorry any, Emma I kind yeah. of interrupted you just to a Kusama, no, no, Kusama appreciation <laughs> Point to interrupt. I think that you know this show, like another, like uh, Euphoria, has had a lot of has a lot of buzz. Pardon the pun <laughs> around it because their little thing is buzz, buzz, buzz as Yellow Jackets. Um, Being they, wasps, isn't it? They, wasps is their um... yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they're wasps, which is you know the sting. You know, the it's kind of quite all all plays into itself. I mean, um, in Kasama world as well, even though she didn't write this. She does play a lot in the films that you've spoken about before about this these strong physical women and women's physicalities and their relationships with their bodies and and consumption and how food and that affects their bodies and I don't think that it's a spoiler to say for this show because um, this film because it's oh, this show, hang on this series that <laughs> it's um, it, it involves cannibalism because it's pretty much um, thrown out there in the first scene that um, that opens the film. Um, but TV we series. never actually really get. It's interesting because they say that they made this as a a first a, um, a one season film um, series and that. They weren't looking at a second series. They were hopeful for one, but they weren't looking for one. But it is, it's everything's left so open-ended. There's so much stuff that you're not told and it's it's like clues have just been dropped, 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 and now we're all waiting to mm. see if things come together mm. in the second season. But it's very much about this. What I liked about it is it's a sense of... Um, women um, being able to, being very powerful, even younger women being very powerful, innately powerful and um, 
and not and showing power in not power is just power you know not it's not necessarily a good thing you know it's where what they choose to do with it like any other human being mm. uh, women are 360 degree full dimensional interesting people you know so yeah that's I can, really plays out in this yeah. I think that's a great way to capture it as well and I think that's actually what I love the most about this I'm so glad we're spotlighting yellow jackets because I think it's a perfect example of really well-drawn women on screen and they get to you mentioned before that there's a bit of a detective work like amateur detective work that go, is involved with this and I think it skips across a lot of different um, genres as well like we have a bit of detective um, narrative we also there's a lot of comedy like there's a lot of humour in this. Um, pretty violent in moments. Um, I know, Lisa, you were saying you didn't advise listeners to watch this before going to bed. No, it was. <laughs> it's not an easy watch, actually, but I, I really enjoyed it. I really, really enjoy it too. And um, for a few reasons, interesting what you say, Em, about um, the way it kind of repositions the female body. Mm, and I think yeah. in the opening scene, and this isn't a spoiler, is it? Because it's the opening scene. Can I say, oh, you always look at me with those oh, eyes. <laughs> Sorry. I'm such a judgmental person. Um, the no, op- go ahead, Lisa. Well, the, o- the opening scene is of a woman running through uh, the, the, the snowy woods uh, mm. and she's being hunted by something or someone and she sort of falls into a pit and is impaled and mm. um, killed. You don't get to see her face. And I, and I, um, and I thought, and it's, that sort of lingers over um, the series, but it, it also gets lost at one point too. Where you sort of stop thinking about who is that person, mm. which is interesting when, you know, the most interesting thing about the series isn't the dead body. Uh, <laughs> it's, there's, uh, it's the characters that mm. are living within it, whereas I think that, you know, in a lot of um, – in television, like a female corpse is sort of shorthand for the female's loss of agency mm. and um, th- that being sort of sacrificed to the male's um, the, to the to the killer's power or to yeah. the murderer's power or to the detective's investigation, which is much mm. more interesting than whoever that woman was, you know. Mm. And so um, I like the way that it sort of repositions the female body as I think Emma said before, something along the lines of whether it's like sacrifice or it's food. It's yeah. life-giving at the end of the day, mm. the female body. And it's also – it doesn't glean over things like menstruation, which um, is great because, yeah. you know, you, these – these sorts of shows and films, you, you imagine like I know I remember watching The Hunger Games and thinking, but what's she doing when she's getting her period? Are they dropping her tampons <laughs> yeah. from the sky? Yeah. Like that they totally. we're, not, we're not showing us. There's all these. When you watch the show Survivor, I'm like, how are those women getting yeah. by without? Tampons? It doesn't get mentioned. It at doesn't all. get mentioned. Yeah. And whereas this, at some point, the women who are all um, stuck in the middle of nowhere, their, their periods sync up, and and that's great that we're sort of, you know, um, just talking about that, normalising it. I yeah. really, I really appreciate that. The interesting. I've, I've, I've speed the same, Lisa, with so many things. You think that it's such a dramatic device that you could use in something. Totally. Any, any woman who's gone through menstruation knows it's a horror that, show. You know, <laughs> It's kind of the, there's a whole psychological, physical aspect that goes with it. And there was an Australian film in the 80s called Fortress, um, which actually was based on a a real life event where um, a school was hijacked out in the middle of nowhere and they were taken, kidnapped and taken into the wilderness. And in that, and it always sat with me because I'd never seen it before in cinema in that the one of the the eldest girls says to teacher miss miss 
oh god my period when they're out stuck in a cave like in the middle of nowhere and and I thought that was so gutsy Mm. because no one wants to no one wants to talk about it or um but it's such an interesting device and also in this it plays into this carnal aspect of mm. just our animal selves and um and also our the, animal bodies and also them as a them as a whole they're a soccer team right and so they do think as a team they don't think as individuals necessarily and getting them stuck on there you start they have different ideas of where they should go where they should stay whether they should try find water. Um, there's lots of survival discussions that come up where they're, they're kind of at loggerheads over this. Um, I, I did uh, similarly find it really, um, I suppose you could say, empowering to actually for that they address menstruation, they address um, giving birth in a very unlikely and undesirable conditions. Um, they... There's so much in that and it's coming from, you know, I remember growing up with period ads where the liquid, you use the blue liquid to demonstrate (laughs) what was really happening. And so I do love that this film just shows girlhood and womanhood because, of course, as you say, we flash forward to the future. Um, Emma, you mentioned before the cast, Melina Linsky, who's actually a New Zealand actor, um, Juliette Lewis and Christina Ritchie, who are like icons of 90s cinema and TV. I mean, I... I was, it thought they were so wonderfully cast. And yeah. perhaps the best moments in Yellow Jackets are these scenes where the women really um, are sometimes at odds with one another, sometimes moments of friendship and real intimacy, but it's always very fraught, I found. Like there's always this underlying tension and these women are presented as very full characters. But yeah, I, I, I think I it's... Think Sorry, I'm going. Oh, sorry, Lisa, you go ahead. Oh, no, I just think the casting is clever in in terms of the story as well. It's quite mm. meta because uh, these women who are now in their 40s and are sort of um, navigating that world were very famous in, in their youth in in reality. Yes. So presumably Christina Ricci and Juliette Lewis and Melanie Linsky have some understanding of the characters that they're playing who were also sort of thrown into the spotlight mm. um, on the back of this tragedy that they went through. Um, so I think it's quite clever having them cast in those roles because I even think about them in that way too, yeah. that I'm like, oh, yeah, what has happened to you in the intervening years? Absolutely. You know, since you did the Adam's family or you know natural born killers and I love seeing women like that back on screen because as we've learnt from the Me Too movement so many female actors disappeared from the screen because of um, cases of sexual assault or or, or blackmail or lots of things that came up that Mm. are now only being revealed now so when you kind of look back and you say oh why have they not been on why, screen why for did they so have long. their careers taken away? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so some of them that's yeah. not the case. For some of them it is that they decided to have children, decided to have a break. There's lots of different stories going around with why people do that. But, I, I yeah, I agree with you, Lisa. There's some there's some beautiful um, meta narratives going on in Yellow Jackets as well. Yeah, and the, the, I also like that the origins of the show, I, I just assumed, oh, it's like the female version of Lord of the Flies. And I was reading some article that said, well, yeah, actually the idea came because the idea comes from a couple of places and one, there was an actual case of a, of a team yeah. having a crash landing in the woods, um, but that, that it was also born of the creators were on Twitter. So many ideas are coming from Twitter now with TV shows, it's amazing. Um, but there was a discussion on Twitter about someone had posed the question, what would a female-led Lord of the Flies story look like? And then someone said, what are they going to do, support each other to death or something <laughs> like that? And the... Um, <laughs> 
and I thought, which is hilarious, because I thought, no, the, and the, the the filmmakers here have got it right. Of course, the, the cannibalism is, is sort of metaphorical for high school life for for teenage for teenage yeah. girls. That sort of fight to the death kind mm. of dynamic that goes on in a show like Mean Girls that you mentioned before. Um, and it's sort of it's not like they had to prove that that point. That just is naturally where yeah. it would go. And I think that that's really interesting, and that they've replaced the flies with wasps is great. You yeah. know, for the, as a female metaphor. And also that <laughs> sense of hunger, which, you know, is, is a feminist issue. You think about Roxane Gay's, you know, seminal memoir, Hunger. Um, but, yeah, this idea of um, teenage girls, you know, much more likely to be affected by eating disorders and then to present them as actually starving on um, this in this wilderness and the hunger coming out in them. It's such a fascinating... There's so many complexities to this is, show. Yeah. Uh, what I love about it, it's got a bit of a trashy element to it as well and there is a lot of fun in this. I mean, we've, we've focused a bit on the dark elements but there's also a huge amount of lightness and humour. Um, wonderful soundtrack again. It was so hard. You're going to bring that up now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, what do you choose? It's amazing. <laughs> I just, honestly, it really was a, such a nostalgia watch for me because I was really into a lot of the bands that get featured. Um, Huge Courtney Love fan as a child, was really obsessed with her. <laughs> Loved Juliette Lewis just as a side thing with her musical career as well. Um, yeah, there was so much in this. Um, I just I adored this. I really did. And I think that, you know, I'm really excited to see how it ends. I haven't watched all of it just yet, but I did watch the whole nice. thing, like as much as I could. I think it was eight episodes, nine episodes on Saturday. That's how I spent my weekend. <laughs> Very it watchable. ends with, a, as Alex said to me, a shart moment. You're going to shart <laughs> when you see the end. So that I'm is a perfect dark. descriptor. I love that we have started this spotlight on women with lots of bodily references and discussions. Um, if you want to check out Yellow Jackets, I think I can, I can confirm that we all encourage you to watch it. It is currently available to stream on Paramount Plus or via Apple TV. You're listening to Primal screen on Triple R. You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform. Um, So for our next show, it's been described as so explicit, it makes skins look positively Victorian. (laughs) Uh, For listeners unfamiliar with that reference, Skins is the iconic racy British teen series from 2007. Uh, Like Skins, uh, HBO's Euphoria is concerned with the minutiae of teen life, the sex, the hookups, the underage parties, but it also explores the more complex, sometimes intangible questions and challenges of the teen experience. And alongside the sex and drama, there is also a lot of humour. Lisa, can you give us a bit more of a a deep dive on the plot of Euphoria? Yeah, it's a a winding plot. It's actually based on – it's an adaptation of an Israeli show of the same name, um, but all episodes of this series are – um, written by Sam Levis- Levinson um, of Assassination Nation, who also serves as executive producer. Um, and it's produced in partnership with A24. So, you know, that gives you a bit of a, a vibe as well. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, That's a genre in itself. It is, yeah. Um, it stars actor-singer Zendaya, um, who's actually like... 
a Disney child star, so it's kind of um, alarming for a lot of viewers to see her in this mm. role because she plays um, a drug addict. And the series um, begins with her character Rue's overdose and her struggle to sort of maintain any sort of sobriety. Um, but like many epic prestige TV series, um, this HBO drama follows several compelling narr- narratives and characters who are all struggling in their own ways, including Rue's love interest Jules, a trans girl who's new to town, her lovable drug dealer Fezco and his little brother Ashtray, her overlooked straight-laced childhood best friend Lexi, Lexi's troubled hot girl sister Cassie, who bounces from one bad relationship to the next, her best friend Maddie, the alpha cheerleader who's dating Nate, the sociopathic football star, whose dad is a sexual predator who has an encounter with one of the students. Um, then there's Kat, the self-proclaimed fat girl who doesn't give an F-U-C-K, who finds empowerment in her online persona as a dominatrix. So it's a pretty intricate web of love and friendships set in a world of drugs, sex, trauma and social media. It's not an easy watch. It's incredibly dark and confronting with lots of full frontal nudity, sex, sexting, sexual violence, physical violence, drug use, colourful language, um, and largely played out by a bunch of adolescent characters, but they're not adolescent actors, I should say. I think that's important to note. They're all in their 20s, these actors. Um, for me, it was actually as uncomfortable as watching the film Kids from um, oh, yeah, 1995. Yeah, that Larry Clark and Harmony Corinne film. Um, it's The series is narrated by Rue, the main, the main character who's struggling with... with um, drug addiction and she's got this very glib kind of voice over over as she sort of ruminates on what it is to be a Gen Z teenager. Um, we're going to play a clip from episode one in which uh, football player McKay is being teased about his new relationship with Cassie, the pretty blonde girl who has a reputation for getting around uh, and a group of high school boys um, sit around watching a sex tape. Um, oh, yeah, sorry, this is the... Here's the fucking thing that pisses me off about the world. Like, every time someone shakes his leg, whether it's J-Law or Leslie Jones, the whole world's like, well, if you don't want it out there, don't take the news in the first place. I'm sorry. I know your generation relied on flowers and father's permission, but it's 2019. And unless you're Amish, nudes are the currency of love. So stop shaming us. Shame the assholes who create password-protected online directories of naked underage girls. Cassie's actually super sweet. You remember, like, from earlier? Yeah, remember Hey, how you been? She's just being coy because she has a new boyfriend she's head over heels for. Mom, stop being retarded. He's not my boyfriend. Oh, okay. Who was that handsome young man who came over for dinner last night? Oh, my night, God, Mom? Mom, stop. Christopher McKay. So you dated McKay? Okay, Mom, I'm literally going to poison you in your sleep. So, Rue, how was rehab? Um... So, yeah, that scene depicted a bunch of high school boys bullying their friend into dumping a girl because, in their view, she's a slut whose sex tapes and nude photos are all over the internet. Emma, what did you make of the modern-day teenage coming-of-age story that's framed within this world of social media? Um, I think it's pretty spectacular. I mean, it's it's really... It comes out of the gates hard. Um, it really jumps out. It's heavily directed... But um, it's like a powerful punch to the face and it is quite shocking. Strangely, you go, how can you shock in this day and age, really? Well, I tell you how you can shock. You can show a whole lot of penises. There are so many penises in this film. And it just goes to show that I think female nudity is quite common through, well, especially European cinema. It depends on what you watch. But um, for something that's 
well, this this version of it is an American show, to literally see flagrant male nudity all the time is kind of, it takes you aback because it's it's just not the norm. That's right. It but it's like, like it's like equal opportunity objectification though, isn't it? It's, I, I, it is, I appreciate yeah. it for that. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I totally do. The, 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 the interesting thing is when you talk about the actors, this is the one very minor gripe I would have with it. Um, you talk about them being um, not in their teens um, and I feel that, Possibly my reality when I was a teenager was more welcome to the dollhouse, awkward and clumsy <laughs> and everything. And even though there are awkward, clumsy moments in this film, they're all very self-possessed mm. young people, right? And I don't think that's super representative of how everyone is in this in this day and age. But that aside, it's not something that um, takes away from um, this series. It's the dialogue's incredibly punchy um the way the the way I watched it and this is I don't know how you guys watched it but I tend to watch a lot of things with subtitles now it's just become a thing in this house I don't know really why but when you watch this with subtitles it also subtitles the music lyrics and it makes you realize how important the soundtrack to this is and the soundtrack's very caustic. It's all that kind of, hey, bitch, N-word this, da-da-da. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And it's all very sexual and and really sort of about shocking, shocking people. Um, and so it plays out in a different, on a, another plane when you have the, the lyrics up on the screen because I don't think you listen to them as much. They become more of a soundtrack if you're just watching just watching the the series mm. but there's a lot to like about this like the you know the the working of um Jules who's the trans woman or trans um character in the isn't film she is wonderful not... Hunter Schaefer oh, she's like the most yeah. super sweet character and this is what I found was a really big breakthrough because American cinema does not usually do this very well which is showing a highly sexualized person which Jules is and making them sweet and lovely mm. america american cinema always seemed to go if you're sexual then original sin cast you down now mm. you're there's something wrong with you um whereas a, a, a european cinema you think of something like amelie from the 90s which you know showed um sexual people as really sweet gorgeous like in this fairy tale sense and I feel like Jules is like that. And even she, at one stage yeah. she goes to a dress-up party as an angel. And yes. she's just such an well, angel. Well, a very particular mm. angel. She dresses exactly like Claire Danes dressed in Romeo yes. and Juliet, Baz Luhrmann's <laughs> film. And I think that there's a beautiful amount of intertextuality. Like you said, Emma, with the soundtrack, the music is such a big part of this series. And I think Euphoria knows that music is such a big part of teens' lives. It definitely was for me when I was growing up. And, you know, when you think about it, teen, your teen experience is so heightened emotionally it's your first time for everything that you do it's probably your first heartbreak um the the you know they 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 tie in with that that sense of drama of the emotion on an emotional register so well and I think the the romance um between um Hunter Schaefer's um 
Jules and um, Zendaya's Rue is so beautiful and so beautifully captured on screen. And also the female friendship that you see between the characters. Something uh, I've just I've watched all of season one, but in season two I think there's a bit of a shift that um, some people have responded negatively to season two because we see um, a trope that comes up that also came up in Yellow Jackets where you have um, sleeping with your your fr- your best friend's boyfriend, you know, that sort of yeah. thing comes up in both of these teen series. Um, and I thought that, yeah, there's been some criticisms about um, baby Barbie Ferrara's um, – Ferreira, sorry, uh, her role as Cat. Um, Cat, mm. and in the yeah. first one, she in the first season, she's got this wonderful transformative narrative, and in the second season, she seems at this stage to sort of be going in a slightly different direction. So I'm I'm interested to see whether the second season is going to have a different um, audiences or attract different people. What? Yeah. The second season, just um, interestingly, I read the second season's filmed literally on um, film Kodak. Oh, really? I thought, so I, thought, I thought both seasons yeah. were. Is that is that not true? Weren't both seasons so, shot no, on film? No, no. The first season was filmed digitally. Wow, I didn't know that. And then the second on Ector Crime. Yeah, I know. Very strange. Well, they actually they actually had to get them. They, they had to get Kodak to rebuild their factory so that they could make the film stock that they wanted <laughs> because they don't. It doesn't That's exist nuts. anymore. But it looks. Yeah freaking amazing yeah. it's so cinematic this series mm. like they've they just spare no expense every shot has been um storyboarded and it needs to be because mm. there are some trippy scenes when you're going through and it's for me like it's it's heightened this is heightened drama mm. absolutely stylized however the emotional reality is very real for me that w- watching rue go through her come downs mm. um trying to get off drugs is you know it's epic. It's in. I think mm. it's season two where she's just running for a whole episode, yeah. but she's walking up walls in a very um, train spotting kind of way. Um, the, the the camera work in that is off the charts, mm. and the use of mirrors. It's very very clever, um, and it looks beautiful. I, I I was listening to the to Sam Levinson say we wanted season two two to be like if season one was the party at 2am season two should be the party at 5am long after the time everyone should have gone home and you really get that feeling there's a great did you watch the specials yeah I've been watching the specials yeah um there's great yeah great use of lighting as well you know beautiful um beautiful shots that make of, of the actors of the characters within party scenes that look like they kind of make this, they look so nostalgic. Like mm. you're looking back at photos of high school. It's like a memory of high school mm. um, rather than I it know being exactly present. exactly the scene that you're thinking yeah. of, that overexposure. That's it's right. used to a wonderful effect. Wonderful in, yeah. effect. And I and I, I did wonder because Sam Levinson's at my age. He's in his late 30s. Mm. And um, so he's obviously a teenager when I was. And it feels for me like, I'm like, how does he know like what's going on for the, this generation, mm. you know? But he said he's just writing from his own experience, you know, that from his, yeah. and, that's, and it feels like, my experience of high school in a very heightened way. Yeah, you know, of but, course. There's there's an element of fantasy to this as well. And I think one of the things that we – you can't talk about Euphoria and not mention the makeup. The makeup in this series yeah. is so iconic, firstly, but it's also very symbolic of how the characters, how they change over time, over the two seasons, and what the what that is – what they're expressing about their sexuality, about their mood. It's such a beautiful way to communicate – 
particularly the teen girl experience, I think that they really become the focus point. Um, yeah, yeah, there's there's so much to to unpack in Euphoria, and like you said, Lisa, <laughs> and I think you also use this word as well, Emma. But it is a beautiful cinematic piece. Um, very, yeah. I'm I'm rather obsessed with this one as well. I've definitely found it just I, as I think, I think it's important to note too, like how big the viewership is on this. Like in America, there's like 5.1 million viewers on the day of the Super. It was up against the Super Bowl. It's so popular. Mm. It's getting a lot of criticism. We haven't talked about the negative criticism it's got around things around trauma, which Yellow Jackets has mm. also copped. Um, we haven't gone there tonight because we're limited on time. But um, it's interesting though that the viewers are, viewership's really high and it came out yesterday that it's the most most tweeted or memed show of the decade so far. Mm. I mean, this is 2022 now, but, you know, that's that's according to Twitter. And it's interesting because it, it, the show lives in a world of tweets, memes, online photographs. These kids are having to navigate mm. this, this world, um, this adult world with their youthful bodies. Um, and it's funny that they've created this show that is very memeable. It's very mm. – the show itself is sort of meta in that way. And I don't think that's a superficial um, success to have because – Actually, memeable translates in in screen language to cinematic often. That's you know, right. being yeah. able to create yeah. something that's so different, so iconic, um, that it stays with us. And I, I do love that they put so much effort into the series. And perhaps why TV series are becoming more worthy of reviews because they've become like little cinema episodes. Yeah. Um, uh, anyhow, uh, I feel like we've got so much more to discuss. Maybe we'll do I it off know. air. <laughs> Um, but Euphoria is currently streaming on Binge and also on Foxtel now. Now, uh, look, uh, <laughs> I feel like this is a bit of a um, uh, look. We started we started with a plane crash, and uh, we're going to end with a car crash. Hey, that's where the professor sits. Oh, sorry. Sorry, he just told me. Someone's quick with the pronouns. Uh, it's fine. I am the professor. You, you're the professor? Yeah. You're Naya Wallace? <laughs> Why do you seem so surprised? Well, your braids. A law professor can't have hair like mine? Why is that? Oh, no, no, no. I didn't, I didn't mean because of the braids. I was, I was, I, I was just thrown because the braids are, are so different than the hair in your photo on the Columbia website. My comment had nothing whatsoever to do with it being a black hairstyle. I, I knew that you were black when I signed up for this class. Uh, that was important to me. <laughs> that is Cynthia Nixon <laughs> as Miranda um, uh, stumbling her way through a very uncomfortable first class uh, at uni. Uh, Emma, I suppose we, you know, we can't talk about um, women on uh, on TV without mentioning the Sex and the City women. This is a reboot um, of the series and called And Just Like That. Um, tell our listeners a bit about what this covers. Yeah, it is. It's written and developed by Michael Patrick King, who was involved with the, the first um, Sex in the Series. Uh, Sex in the Series. Sex in the City <laughs> series is... Uh, because there were um, six series anyway. So it's a limited series reboot of this incredibly successful, sometimes controversial noughties hit. I would call it noughties. I think it fits in that 1990s, even even though it went into the 2000s. Um, 
Sex in the City, the show called Sex in the City, which is based on Candace Bushnell's newspaper column and book of the same name. And it's about the dating experiences of a single woman and her friends in New York City, picking up where the original series left off, which was in 2004, after 94 episodes and six seasons. And then a couple of movies that really aren't necessary viewing. <laughs> and just like that, reunites members of the original cast. So Sarah Jessica Parker as Carrie, Cynthia Nixon as Miranda, and Kristen Davis as Charlotte, although Kim Cattrall as Samantha decided to take a pass this time around. Yes, also, they, rather famously. They are no longer in their 30s, but they're in their 50s with larger disposable incomes, better real estate and negotiating a woke world that they may or may not sometimes fully understand. So... I don't know. What were you guys? Did you come from being fans of the original Sex in the Cities or not? Um, no. I I think I was maybe too young to be into Sex City. Also, I don't think I'm um it didn't outwardly appeal to me. Maybe I was too young for it when it came out. How about you, Lisa? Were you into it? No, but my all my friends were. So mm. it, it came out, I think, when I was a teenager. And mm. so it was the very cool thing, a very naughty thing to watch. It was watch. meant to be very risque. I think yeah. that's what <clears> I was maybe disappointed with in And Just Like That is that it's lost all of its radical edge. And, it, you know, like it's easy to make fun of Sex in the City um, as so often – female TV shows, especially ones dealing with their love lives, you know, it's something that often gets mocked. But they, Sex and the City was radical for its time. It um, it very frank shocking. discussion of sex, um, very honest conversations between women. And I think what I doesn't always appeal to me is that I didn't believe that they had a, they had a pretty toxic friendship at times. And I was kind of, I, I did have a part of me was excited to watch this because I thought I'm interested to see women in their fifties and what, what kind of how they would change and how they continue to talk about sex and their families and their lives and their careers. I feel like these are 50 year old women acting like 30 year olds. It's, it's so, it, that scene that we just listened to is one of many cringeworthy mm. scenes. And the other one that springs to mind is the opening scene. It's <laughs> yes. just horrendous. They, they spend the first sort of 15 minutes discussing the fact that Miranda doesn't dye her hair mm. um, and, uh, you, you know, and how uncomfortable that makes Charlotte feel because it makes her look older and, um, and she says, well, no, you know, I'm anyway, it goes, it goes on and on. But really what I felt like they were, they were like, I'm like, okay, they're, they're, they're addressing the fact that these pe- women of age, that's what they're doing for yeah. the audience. Right. Yeah. And the passing of time is so we're going to discuss hair for all this time, but it makes them also sound very superficial. And it also glosses over the fact that what they maybe really should be talking about is all the the plastic surgery that they've had. Like they don't, they just gloss that over that. That would be great. That yeah. would be great to hear it and not yeah. to shame them about it. It'd That's be great right. to yeah. have that conversation. Yeah. Then that wouldn't that be the conversation? Mm. Oh, what Botox have you had lately or whatever? Cause it's very obvious when you see in that mm. scene. And um, yeah, I just found that disappointing in the opening. And it's funny, like you say, it was ahead of its time and now it's so behind the times, yeah. but it's making them behind the times. It's making <laughs> them uh, almost full. Like the idiots as if they wouldn't they have aren't, moved. Yeah. As if they wouldn't have moved with the times. I don't even know what a podcast, is like yeah. I find that so unbelievable. I also just think it's yeah, yeah you're right. It's a aff- it's actually quite offensive to older women as well because they're assuming that they just want to stay young and it's like yeah that's fine but also it takes away all of the wonderful things you get as you get older which is usually a lot more sense of self and wisdom and wisdom, yeah, yeah uh, <clears throat> look I hated this show. Yeah. <laughs> I could I could actually hate I could continue to watch hate watch it yeah and that is one of the pleasures. I will, um, I will say though my mother in law who 
um, happens to be gay and um, has really enjoyed watching it. And she's a woman in her, she's just turned 60 and she's really enjoying it. So I'm like, well, what do I know? Like they're more her, her peers than I am. And she she really has enjoyed the, Miran- Miran- there's a Miranda storyline of um, maybe she's going to um, t- turn and be with a, a woman um, who I find immensely irritating, this um, the the comedian. Yeah, what's her um, name? Che, Shay so Diaz. They, what's their name? Yeah, um, she, they are Che Diaz and um, they play a comedian that they give way too much airtime to. We have mm. to watch her whole set for, for like six mm. minutes in one episode and it's not funny. I just was like, <laughs> what is going on here? It's, and she, they become their woke guru. Mm. Like, she, like they have to educate them on how to be woke all of a sudden and I just find it it's so patronising. Yeah, I'm I'm on board with that as well. It, it, they have got a lot of. Um, I think the nicest thing I could say is a lot of tokenism in this film, uh, a film TV show. Uh, yeah, look, I, I'm, I'm I realize we <laughs> we can't be just like <laughs> slamming, slamming, and just like that for another uh, hour. But um, uh, look, I, I I don't think it's worth. Maybe as a hate watch, but yeah, I, I would skip over it probably. Yeah, yeah. I think fans of the series might get something out of it, yeah. but, but critics uh, of the series have said the characters just wouldn't have evolved that way, and that's no. the hardest thing they find to, to sort of um, you know grapple with, I guess. Yeah, it's a real missed opportunity. Um, however, if you'd like to catch that. Uh, TV series, all the same. <laughs> and Just Like That is currently streaming on Foxtel. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R. Thanks for listening to Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. 